Hello, uh, my name is James and welcome to The Basement Tapes. This is a podcast where we listen to mystery story tapes from a tin in my late granddad's basement. Um, feels like every time I come down here and turn this mic on um, is to apologise for having been away. When me and Gabby and Joel, when, we was, when they were still attached to the project, uh, when we uploaded the first episode... Of the basement tapes. I think it got something like six listens. Which accounts perfectly for um, three sets of overly proud parents, right? Like this was strictly people we knew. But we were overjoyed. Six whole listens. You know, we we um, we basically had a full-on party to celebrate. Wine and nibbles, the works. The basement tapes uh, came about at a time in our collective lives. We had just um, left uni. And the world outside that bubble was uh, really hard. And those six lessons inspired us to uh, make more. Um, we got better and better at editing and slowly the lessons um, crept up. There's a couple of episodes in this archive that have something like uh, 90 or even 100 lessons. Which is still tiny in the podcast world. Like in the great back garden pond of big fish podcasts where um, Plankton... Um, but still, 100 people, 100 humans uh, tuned in to listen to these stories. We got the privilege of telling them to 100 uh, total strangers. Um, so it became very disheartening when those listens started to drop and drop. And to be clear, this uh, is definitely a product of how we run ran the podcast. We barely advertise it because uh, we have other lives and other commitments. And um, obviously I was busy with Graham passing. And of course, we've never intended to make a single penny out of it, which I'm glad of in a way, because it meant we uh, could choose the tapes that really spoke to us and to our friendship, not necessarily the ones that made the most commercial sense. Some of the best moments of my life have been editing these stories with my friends. Um, I wish they'd call. But it reached a point where I was scared to turn this thing on. Scared I might lose even more of you if I say the wrong thing. Being um, happy with six listens feels very far away. So here's today's tape. It's Keep Talking by Pink Floyd from I've wanted to be a man of few words. The only problem is, I talk too much. I think in society, we believe there's a certain glamour to being a stoic, stony-faced and silent individual, whose utter auditory fast is punctuated only very occasionally by pearls of wisdom, which, even if they're utter shit, seem magnified and elevated to a certain inevitable gravitas by your usual vow of silence. But like I said, I talk too much. I come from a house of opinions and feel a compulsion to share mine, have done even before I met the them. 
I don't suffer from writer's block either. When faced with a blank word document or an awkward silence between ex-lovers, I, as eponymous nature, abhor that vacuum. It's less a drive to create and much more a drive to talk. I blather, therefore I am. Like a squawking bird, I have come to hate the sound of my own voice, a temporary aggregate of human meat sounding endlessly into the void. I first encountered my one of the them when I was twelve. I fell off a horse in a riding competition and awoke two days later, groggy and anaesthetised in a hospital room. Back then, I couldn't tell if I was pushing it away or feeding it. I'm not the only one who sees them, who repels them, the people on the bus who strike up conversation with the passengers beside them. They see them, or the elderly neighbour whose idle chatter you're quick to avoid, the housemate who rushes out of her room the instant she hears the front door. They all see the them. I know I'm not alone because people do post about them online. Twice now I've seen confessional posts on Reddit, both of whom had suffered head injuries and began seeing them. A few days later, both the posts and the users were gone. The them are a lot like any aficionado of gossip, it turns out, happy to hear the chatter but loath to be its subject. Over the ten years I've had my them stalking me, I've established some key facts. One, only I can see him and only I can feed him. Only my voice keeps him away and he likes his food fresh. Recordings don't cut it. Not that I have to think about the words I use. It's much more important that I speak than I actually say anything. Two, if you feed him well before you go to bed, you'll get a few hours sleep before you feel his tiny insistent claw nudging you in the side, first gently, then with a gathering force, until it rips your blanket in half. Three, the sleep you do manage will be full of dreams, and those dreams full of words, chasing each other's tails. Four, despite my constant fear of him, I have called him a him in much the same way that old ladies name their pot plants, or young men name their tumours. Five, there are never enough strepsils. I don't have many friends. I think that's probably a pretty normal side effect of talking all the time. Nobody wants to listen. And when they do listen, they don't like what they hear. Instant responses are never exactly well considered. My whole life is one long, ill-thought-out monologue. One big, self-pitying hot take. It's the old Shakespeare gig. So much sound and fury and all that. I don't date much either. I've given up trying. Do you know what I wish? that the them work the other way round, that they've made me silent all my damn life. At least then I might have had some chance of an inner peace, a relationship with a deity perhaps, or just a fresh outlook and tiny draws. You see those Buddhist monks who haven't spoken in 30 years, they always look dead chuffed with their silent selves. To be silent is to be part of a community, a group. When silent in conversation, you are nevertheless part of it. In contrast, to talk, and in turn to not be listened to, is to belong to a group of one, much better to live a silent life, confident that were you to speak you would be heeded, than to strive every moment to be heard. I wish I'd been born deaf or gone to mime academy. Would he accept sign language? And if so, BSL or ASL? There's an apocryphal fact that women speak much more than men, on average 20,000 words to a man's 7,000 words a day. I find this hard to believe when the few women I do know struggle to get a word in edgeways. A far more reliable statistic seems to be the number of words spoken in a lifetime, at least for a person who isn't stoic. For those of us without stoicism, we manage 860 million. That's like reading aloud 20 volumes of the Oxford English Dictionary. 15 times. If it helps, most of the words you use in your whole life can be boiled down to a list of just 100. Some of these 100 words, which make up basically all interactions you are ever going to have, are really quite inspiring. 
It might surprise you to learn that love ranks pretty highly on the list, but I suspect this has much more to do with our flippant disregard for the sanctity of its verbal form, e.g. oh my god I love her hair, than the suggestion that we're constantly expressing our feelings for each other. Much of the list of the 100 most common words is as you'd expect, the boring minutiae of a life lived in repetition. Yes, no, bread, goodbye, there, when, hour and work. But I find the duality of choice within the list quite fascinating. You really could live a whole life, either selflessly or with great cruelty, using just these 100 words. In fact, you do. You could choose who you are just entirely by your selections from the list. For example, in addition to love, the list also features hate. It offers give and take at position 55 and 73 respectively. Go and stay. Mine and ours. Make and buy. Have and want us and I. Will, and of course Will's difficult younger brother, won't. But when you're pursued by the them, you really only get a chance at one kind of life. One of the few peculiarities of being pursued my entire adult life by a member of the them is my expositing is somewhat broken free of the orbit of 100 words. I have a favourite word, which is also my them's favourite word, and that is ironically, discretion. Discretion is also, rather worryingly, the collective noun for a group of clergy, a discretion of vicars, for example. Collective plurals often come with a certain smirking irony, I've noticed, and I have had plenty of time to notice. A worship of writers, for example, harks back to a time when writers required local lords to finance their work. Foxes come in sulks, and trouts bizarrely in hovers, and of course there's a tiding of magpies. Frogs come in froggeries, or parliaments, I assume a decision made after the referendum. Some personal favourite plurals of mine include a drunk ship of cobblers and a nastiness of cooks, which feels rather more like general slights against the professions than useful nomenclature. No, if you want useful language, you're much better off looking to medicine, where words describe afflictions that end lives and operations that save them. Not that medical etymology is devoid of fun, I've always found windpipe pleasingly literal, for example. Perhaps the last shreds of the alchemy and attempts at magic which spawned modern medicine lies in its vernacular. Consider the simple suffix itus, with it the power to take an object and make it sick, like an instant curse. Larynx becomes laryngitis, pharyngitis, appendicitis, arthritis, the them-itis. And just like that, I'm no longer a crazy person, just a sufferer of a rare but not unheard of disease. It legitimises it all, doesn't it? makes this crazy thing we do seem much more natural. I should hate you, you know, but I think that's your great trick. It's not the making me talk, it's the listening. That's how you got me. You stick around when everyone else is gone. Not that you really listen, you just eat them up. Chew my words without tasting, don't you? An endless churning rush. Verbiage and much maligned adverbiage pouring into your mouth? Do you have a mouth? I've never been sure. For a creature who loves to see me talk, I've never heard you say a word. And when you do make sounds, they seem to resonate from your entire form, like one huge predatory tuning fork. There's certainly a facial opening, but mouth seems generous. It gives me some small pleasure to imagine that you share the physiological peculiarities of something like the sea slug, and in fact, the orifice you use to consume your food is in fact also your excretionary organ. Like my verbal diarrhoea is being eaten instantly by your own hungry asshole. I suppose, most logically, you must be feeding through your ears, but where are they? The old schoolyard proverb is that grasshoppers carry their ears on their knees, which must be deafening. The grasshoppers see the them too. 
Is that why they and their cicadas make their endless chorus shrieking to please you? Nobody comes around anymore. There's no mail, not even junk, which is surprising. Nobody calls. Why would they? Talking to me on the phone is as good as getting my answering machine for all the conversation we might have. Talk, talk, talk. At least it stopped the cold callers, telemarketers. They miss their quotas if they ring me. I bought us a bottle of wine today and mumbled to myself on the bus ride home. I cooked this steak, rapidly cooling on the table. I can't seem to find a good time to take a bite. I've poured you a glass. Go on, try it. It's red. That's it. Pick it up. Yeah, that's right. So it is a mouth. Or close enough. Don't worry, you've spilled a little. Don't worry, I'll get that. I've got a napkin here. Napkin has a fascinating etymology. The literal kin of the nap, or French tablecloth. He's the tablecloth's little brother. Isn't that marvellous? Are you laughing? Is this what you wanted? To make me alone? So we could be together? So I could entertain you? Feed you endlessly? Best friends? Lovers? Am I your living chef? I've put something in the wine, you know. I don't suppose it'll have any effect on you, but it should start working on me pretty soon. It already hurts, actually. I don't want the steak. Hurts my throat, my tummy, lungs. Quite horrible, actually, doing this. Dying, I mean. Quite awful. But I still can't stop describing it. Can't stop saying how I feel. Is this good? Is this the best thing you've ever eaten? My dying words, gourmet delicacy, or no better than small talk fast food. Do tell. It really does hurt. It reminds me of something, but I can't quite think of the word. Eight hours. Okay, Sandy. Um, just seeing how you were. Uh, we've not heard from you in a while. Um, we heard that you you carried on with uh, the basement case, and um, and and good on you. You know, it, it actually done a recall, and um, we're into your uh, really getting getting that together and doing that on your own. So um, it's a great thing from you. Uh, so just give us a ring when you get this. Okay, bye bye. To listen to your message again, press one. To save it and move on, press 2. To delete it, press 3. Or for deleted. Next message. Message. Hey, James. Um, Gabby again. Uh, haven't really heard from you. Um, just wanted to let you know that uh, me and John were going down to the pub. And it's my birthday. And, um, and we'd, we'd really love to see you. So uh, it, is, it is tonight. And this is a little bit on the road. Um, so you have uh, a seven That'll be really lovely. Looking forward to seeing you. Bye. To listen to your message again, press 1. To save it and move on, press 2. To delete it, press 3. Or for deleted. Next message. Yeah. Hi James, Abby again. Um, I guess you're probably not getting these messages. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if maybe you've got a new number now, or there's no signal in the basement. Um, I don't really know. But uh, I, just, I just wanted to let you know that um, me and Joel, we, we really care about you. Um, to listen to your message again, press 1. To save it and move on, press 2. To delete it, press 3. For us deleted, 